Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mystic Show. I'm glad you could join me now. Uh, my name is Chris Curran, and today is September 30th. It's the last day of September 2013. And this is the show, The Mystic Show where we talk about all kinds of things related to spirituality, meditation, mindfulness, you know, the universe, energy, what I like to call all things unseen and otherworldly, right? A lot of things we can't see. Can you see love? (laughs) I mean, love itself. Right? It's it's uh it's otherworldly. But it's real. You feel it, don't you? Right? So that's what uh we cover all kinds of topics like that on this show. Our website is www.themysticshow.net. Themysticshow.net. You could see all our past episodes and it's pretty cool cuz they're titled with the subjects that we talk about. So you can pretty quickly just browse through the website. And if you see a topic that you're interested in, you can just listen to that show. Um, so I, um, this weekend, my wife and I have been watching, uh, Louise Hay, um, Louise Hay's, uh, DVD and Louise Hay is, I think most famous for writing the book, You Can Heal Your Life. I'm not sure if you ever read that book. Um, That's a really good one. I read it, wow, probably 20 years ago or almost 20 years ago. And it was one of the first books that I read on my spiritual journey or self-help journey, whatever you want to call it. I think those two are intertwined. Well, I guess everything in life is intertwined, right? So I read that book, You Can Heal Your Life, and it really had an impact on my life because it it comes back to the fact that, you know, how we feel about ourselves is paramount. And if we have a negative view of ourselves, or if we're always beating ourselves up, or we're not seeing anything lovable within ourselves, then it's hard for other people to see anything lovable, right? And and the whole the whole universe itself is just a reflection of what's on our in, inner self. So your attitude to the world, your view of the world, actually conditions how the world treats you, right? So I think we've talked about this many times. Uh, The reason I'm bringing up Louise Hay this morning, well, besides the fact that my wife and I are watching her DVD, which is pretty good. Um, It's interesting to me because it talks about how she got started back in the 70s. Talks about her childhood and all the trouble she had growing up. And it also talks about how she got into positive thinking and affirmations 
And then she started working with other people, having groups, coaching people, and and then one, then she had her, uh, what she has in the book actually is she lists the different ailments people can have, like a sore neck or, you know, even cancer, you know, foot pain. I mean, literally she lists hundreds of, you know, little pains or ailments that you can have. And then next to it, she'll tell you um, the root cause of that problem in your own thinking. Not not really physically, but even deeper than that, in your own thinking. And then she gives you an affirmation that you can repeat over and over to change that thinking. So what happens is when people use these affirmations, they end up changing their thinking and they change their vibration and the physical ailment disappears quite often. So she was doing a lot of that, and uh, someone said, oh, you should put that into a book. And she thought, oh my God, what a great idea. And so she put it into a little tiny book, and then that did pretty well. And then a couple years later, or I don't know how many years later, pretty pretty soon after that, she um, she published uh, a, a bigger book, which was the book "You Can Heal Your Life," and um, apparently she was on she was on Oprah and the Phil Donahue show on the same week, and that's it. It you know the her the phone rang off the hook and book sales went through the roof, and that was that was all she needed. Uh, but it's really a great book. So the other reason I'm mentioning it this morning is, uh, oh, by the way, we do the show here every morning at 7 a.m. Eastern time. That's New York City time. And then we replay the show, the morning show we replay in the evening at 8 p.m. and 1 a.m. Eastern time. And then, of course, all the shows are archived on the website, themysticshow.net. And I'm going to open the phone lines in a little bit, uh, and I'll give you the number then. But all the information is on the website. So the other reason I bring up Louise Hay is because the next chapter in the book that we're reading from, which is Byways of Blessedness by James Allen, um, and James Allen is the English mystic who we love so much, Uh, The next chapter is called Forgiveness. And this is actually one of uh, Louise Hay's uh, main messages. You know, basically forgiveness is so powerful because when we hold resentment in our mind and in our body, that's when all the dis-ease comes into the picture. And when you when you forgive and you release that resentment, um, your body comes back into health. And Louise Hay did it in her own life. She had cancer, and she basically cured herself of cancer just by, you know, she changed her diet and as well, but she also mainly changed her thinking and her affirmations. So let's start reading from this chapter 
of Byways of Blessedness. It's actually chapter 7. It's called Forgiveness. The remembering of injuries is spiritual darkness. The fostering of resentment is spiritual suicide. To resort to the spirit and practice of forgiveness is the beginning of enlightenment. It is also the beginning of peace and happiness. There is no rest for him who broods over slights and injuries and wrongs. No quiet repose of mind for him who feels that he has been unjustly treated and who schemes how best to act for the discomfiture of his enemy. How can happiness dwell in a heart that is so disturbed by ill will? Do birds resort to a burning bush wherein to build and sing? Neither can happiness inhabit in that breast that is aflame with burning thoughts of resentment. Nor can wisdom come and dwell where such folly resides. Revenge seems sweet only to the mind that is unacquainted with the spirit of forgiveness. But when the sweetness of forgiveness is tasted, then the extreme bitterness of revenge is known. Revenge seems to lead to happiness to those who are involved in the darkness of passion. But when the violence of passion is abandoned and the mildness of forgiveness is resorted to, then it is seen that revenge leads to suffering. Revenge is a virus which eats into the very vitals of the mind and poisons the entire spiritual being. Resentment is a mental fever which burns up the wholesome energies of the mind. And taking offense is a form of moral sickness which saps the healthy flow of kindliness and goodwill, and from which men and women should seek to be delivered. The unforgiving and resentful spirit is a source of great suffering and sorrow, and he who harbors and encourages it, who does not overcome and abandon it, forfeits much blessedness and does not obtain any measure of true enlightenment. To be hard-hearted is to suffer, is to be deprived of light and comfort. To be tender-hearted is to be serenely glad, 
is to receive light and be well comforted. It will seem strange to many to be told that the hard-hearted and unforgiving suffer most. Yet it is profoundly true, for not only do they, by the law of attraction, draw to themselves the revengeful passions in other people, but their hardness of heart itself is a continual source of suffering. Every time a man hardens his heart against a fellow being, he inflicts upon himself five kinds of suffering. Namely, the suffering of loss of love, the suffering of lost communion and fellowship, the suffering of a troubled and confused mind, the suffering of wounded passion or pride, and the suffering of punishment inflicted by others. Every act of unforgiveness entails upon the doer of that act these five sufferings. Whereas every act of forgiveness brings to the doer five kinds of blessings. The blessedness of love, the blessedness of increased communion and fellowship, the blessedness of a calm and peaceful mind, the blessedness of passion stilled and pride overcome, and the blessedness and kindness and goodwill bestowed by others. Numbers of people are today suffering the fiery torments of an unforgiving spirit. And only when they make an effort to overcome that spirit can they know what a cruel and exacting taskmaster they are serving. Only those who have abandoned the service of such a master for that of the nobler master of forgiveness can realize and know how grievous a service is the one, how sweet the other. Let a man contemplate the strife of the world, how individuals and communities, neighbors and nations, live in continual retaliations towards each other. Let him realize the heartaches, the bitter tears, the grievous partings and misunderstandings, yea, even the bloodshed and woe which spring from that strife. And, thus realizing, he will never again yield to ignoble thoughts of resentment. Never again take offense at the actions of others. Never again live in unforgiveness towards any being. When a man abandons retaliation for forgiveness, he passes from darkness to light.
So dark and ignorant is unforgiveness that no being who is at all wise or enlightened could descend to it. But its darkness is not understood and known until it is left behind. And the better and nobler course of conduct is sought and practiced. Man is blinded and deluded only by his own dark and sinful tendencies. And the giving up of all unforgiveness means the giving up of pride and certain forms of passion. The abandonment of the deeply rooted idea of the importance of oneself and of the necessity for protecting and defending that self. And when that is done, the higher life, greater wisdom, and pure enlightenment, which pride and passion completely obscured, are revealed in all their light and beauty. Then there are petty offenses, little spites, and passing slights, which, while of a less serious nature than deep-seated hatreds and revenges, dwarf the character and cramp the soul. They are due to the sin of self and self-importance and thrive on vanity. Whosoever is blinded and deluded by vanity will continually see something in the actions and the attitudes of others towards him at which to take offense. And the more there is of vanity, the more greatly will be the imaginary slight or the wrong be exaggerated. Moreover, to live in the frequent indulgence of petty resentments increases the spirit of hatred and leads gradually downward to the greater darkness, suffering, and self-delusion. Don't take offense or allow your feelings to be hurt, which means get rid of pride and vanity. Don't give occasion for offense or hurt the feelings of others, which means be gently considerate, forgiving, and charitable towards all. The giving up, the total uprooting of vanity and pride is a great task, but it is a blessed task, and it can be accomplished by constant practice in non-resentment and by meditating upon one's thoughts and actions so as to understand and purify them. And the spirit of forgiveness is perfected in one in the measure that pride and vanity are overcome and abandoned. The not taking offense and the not giving offense go together. 
When a man ceases to resent the actions of others, he is already acting kindly towards them, considering them before himself or his own defense. Such a man will be gentle in what he says and does, will arouse love and kindness in others, and not stir them up to ill will and strife. He will also be free from all fear concerning the actions of others towards him. For he who hurts none fears none. But the unforgiving man, he who is eager to pay back some real or imaginary slight or injury, will not be considerate towards others. For he considers himself first, and is continually making enemies. He also lives in the fear of others, thinking that they are trying to do towards him as he is doing towards them. He who contrives the hurt of others fears others. There is a beautiful story of Prince Dirgayu, which was told by an ancient Indian teacher to his disciples in order to impress them with the truth of the sublime precept that hatred ceases not by hatred at any time. Hatred ceases by not hatred. The story is as follows. Brahmadatta, a powerful king of Benares, made war upon Dirgeti, the king of Kosala, in order to annex his kingdom, which was much smaller than his own. Dirgeti, seeing that it was impossible for him to resist the greater power of Brahmadatta, fled and left his kingdom in his enemy's hands. For some time he wandered from place to place in disguise, and at last settled down with his queen in an artisan's cottage, and the queen gave birth to a son, whom they called Dirgayu. Now, King Brahmadatta was anxious to discover the hiding place of Dirgeti in order to put to death the conquered king. For he thought, seeing that I have deprived him of his kingdom, he may someday treacherously kill me if I do not kill him. But many years passed away, and Dirgeti devoted himself to the education of his son, who, by diligent application, became learned and skillful and wise. And after a time, Dirgeti's secret became known, and he, fearing that Brahmadatta would discover him and slay all three, and thinking more of the life of his son than his own, sent away the prince. Soon after, the exiled king fell into the hands of Brahmadatta and was, 
along with his queen, executed. Now, Brahmadatta thought, I have got rid of Dirgeti and his queen, but their son, Prince Dirgayu, lives, and he will be sure to contrive some means of effecting my assassination. Yet he is unknown to any, and I have no means of discovering him. So the king lived in great fear and continual distress of mind. Soon after the execution of his parents, Dirgayu, under an assumed name, sought employment in the king's stables and was engaged by the master of elephants. Dirgayu quickly endeared himself to all, and his superior abilities came at last under the notice of the king, who had the young man brought before him, and was so charmed with him that he employed him in his own castle, and he proved to be so able and diligent that the king shortly placed him in a position of great trust under himself. One day, the king went on a long hunting expedition and became separated from his retinue, Dirgayu alone remaining with him. And the king, being fatigued with his exertions, lay down and slept with his head in Dirgayu's lap. Then Dirgayu thought, This king has greatly wronged me. He robbed my father of his kingdom and slew my parents, and he is now entirely in my power. And he drew his sword, thinking to slay Brahmadatta. But remembering how his father had taught him never to seek revenge, but to forgive to the uttermost, he sheathed his sword. At last the king awoke out of a disturbed sleep, and the youth inquired of him why he looked so frightened. My sleep, said the king, is always restless, for I frequently dream that I, that I am in the power of young Dirgayu and that he is alone to slay me. While lying here, I again dreamed that with greater vividness than ever before, and it has filled me with dread and terror. Then the youth, drawing his sword, said, I am Prince Dirgayu, and you are in my power. The time of vengeance has arrived. Then the king fell upon his knees and begged Dirgayu to spare his life. And Dirgayu said, It is you, O king, who must spare my life. For many years you have wished to find me in order that you might kill me. And now that you have found me, let me beg of you to grant me my life. And there and then did Brahmadatta and Dirgayu grant each other life, took hands, and solemnly vowed never to harm each other. 
And so overcome was the king by the noble and forgiving spirit of Dirgayu that he gave him his daughter in marriage and restored to him his father's kingdom. Thus, hatred ceases by not hatred, by forgiveness, which is very beautiful and is sweeter and more effective than revenge. It is the beginning of love, of that divine love that does not seek its own. And he who practices it, who perfects himself in it, comes at last to realize that blessed state wherein the torments of pride and vanity and hatred and retaliation are forever dispelled, and goodwill and peace are unchanging and unlimited. In that calm state, silent bliss, even forgiveness passes away and is no longer needed. For he who has reached it sees no evil to resent, but only ignorance and delusion on which to have compassion. And forgiveness is only needed so long as there is any tendency to resent, retaliate, and take offense. Equal love towards all is the perfect law, the perfect state in which all lesser states find their completion. Forgiveness is one of the doorways in the faultless temple of love divine. Wow. So we will stop there. Let's just ponder that for a quick minute. Thank you to Anya for this song, which, like many of her other songs, I don't know how to pronounce the name of it. <laughs> it looks like Bodicia. Bodicia, maybe. Um, you're listening to The Mystic Show, and our website is themysticshow.net themysticshow.net all the information about the show is there including the phone number and I have just turned the ringer of the phone on so if you are so inspired to call me and maybe share your opinion maybe about what we just read from James Allen's book or that story about the king so we do the show every weekday at 7 a.m. 
and we replay it in the evening at 8 p.m. and 1 a.m. All those times are Eastern Time, New York City Time. All the information's on the website. So I'm happy to have you here with me, and I wanted to just talk about waiting. Waiting. W. <clears throat> excuse me. W-A-I-T-I-N-G. Waiting. Not waiting like waiting in the river <laughs> uh, with a D. This is waiting with a T. And obviously waiting goes along with patience, right? Because when, when we practice patience, that's what we're doing. We're just waiting. And that's also one way to think of meditation is that you know, when you close your eyes and you, you know, you sit comfortably and you close your eyes, um, you know, you want to begin with a thought or you want to, you know, there's some technique to your meditation. But in a way, when we meditate, we're really getting in touch with the divinity within ourselves, whatever that means. So in a way, we're just waiting because meditation is a passive activity, right? We don't actually do anything when we meditate. It's a passive activity. We're totally passive. We're not forcing our mind. We're not forcing our body. We're not talking. We're not seeing. We're not hearing. Well, maybe you do hear some things. I used to hear a lot of things when I started meditating. I mean, imagine imagine a recording engineer, an audio engineer, <laughs> closing his eyes to start meditating. My goodness, I heard every sound under the sun. But really, when we meditate, we're just waiting for the divine to reveal itself or to come into our consciousness more fully. And waiting in real life, I mean, real life, I mean, in everyday life is also very important because things take time, as we've discussed before. So if you've uh, had any trouble or success with waiting in your life, um, you can give me a call. The number's on the website. I'll give you the number right now, too. 973 Four nine eight eight zero three three. I'll say it again if if you want to grab a pen, or you could just go to the website, right, themysticshow.net. But again, the number nine seven three four nine eight eight zero three three. So when we meditate very passively, as if we're waiting for the divine, what happens is we create a vacuum within ourselves and nature or God or the universe or the divine fills that vacuum with pure divinity or grace or whatever you want to call it. If that's our intention. So that's when we wait in the proper way, we create a vacuum, but is there a wrong way to wait? 
in everyday life, think about this. If you're, let's say you're at the grocery store and there's a long line. And you could be waiting in line and you could be angry. You could be upset. You could be in a hurry. You know, the person in front of you talking to the other person in front of you, they, maybe you feel a bit annoyed for some reason, right? So you're waiting to pay for your groceries, but it's not a very enjoyable waiting, right? And and you're not being filled with grace at that point. You're being filled with annoyance and frustration. So picture this now, the other the other way. Let's say you're waiting in line, but you're thinking of, uh, I always think of my own practice where we have something called constant remembrance, which is basically we remember divinity even in our waking state. But let's say you remember love, you remember someone you love, or you remember um, peace and calm and patience, right? So you're standing in line, getting ready to pay for your groceries, and you're feeling calm and patient and, you know, right? That's a whole different experience of waiting. And when you wait in that fashion, what comes to you? Well, grace and peace and love or whatever it is, right? All the good good things come to you. So that there's different ways that we wait. And, you know, when we talk about developing patience, because let's face it, we're all on a spiritual journey, right? And this is a long journey, right? This is not a short journey. This I don't think it's going to be over, you know, by lunchtime today <laughs> or tomorrow, you know? So in a way, we have to wait every day. Obviously, we have to put in our effort, right? We have to do our meditation. We have to read books. We have to develop a positive attitude, develop a good character. But even after doing or while doing all that, it uh, it's still going to take time. We still have to be patient. And if we're going through this spiritual journey and we're trying to learn and become more divinized and become more calm and peaceful and and all that. If you're waiting in the wrong way, it kind of sours the whole experience, you know? I mean, if you wake up every day and say, oh man, I'm not divinized yet. Jeez, this is tough. Oh, this is frustrating. Oh man, come on. (laughs) Jeez. And, uh, but if you wake up every, you know, if you, if you have the attitude that, okay, it's going to take some time and I'm going to enjoy the, the journey, then you feel better, right? And you attract more grace. It reminds me of a story that, uh, my spiritual guide has told before where, oh geez, I hope I can tell it properly. Uh, there's one of the 
I don't know if they're called an avatar or a rishi or something. Let's say there's there's uh, one of the gods, right? That's probably not right either, but um, one of the... Okay, there's a man who's been practicing meditation and his spiritual practice for many, many years, and he's very advanced, and he's he asks the god, he says... How many? How much longer is my spiritual journey going to be? When am I going to reach the goal? And God and the the God says to him, um, "You have two more lifetimes to go, and then you're going to reach your goal." And this person who was practicing, he was upset. He was like, "Oh man, I've I've done so much. I've been meditating every day. You know." more than once a day for my whole life. I mean, geez, how long does this take? <laughs> you know, he was he was upset. He was a little bit annoyed. And God just, the, the God just kind of walked away. And uh, then there was this crazy guy, crazy man. He, he wasn't even meditating. He wasn't doing anything. He was just living his life. You know, happy guy. And he, he, he asked the God, he said, how long do I have? When, when am I going to reach my spiritual goal? When am I going to become liberated or attain realization? And, um, and the God said to him, you know, as many leaves that are on this tree, that's how many more lifetimes you have to go. You know, and there's a zillion leaves on the tree. And this guy, this crazy guy, he said, oh, that's all, oh, wonderful. And he was happy. He was happy and he started singing. And right then, because the, the, the crazy guy had a very good attitude and a good condition, the God right then, boom, gave him, gave him the goal right there, gave him the liberation. So when we wait in the right way, when we have the right attitude, we seem to attract more grace, more blessings. So another thing about waiting is that, um, and this is something I've experienced in my own life several times, and it's this whole flow of things happening, okay? You know, there's things that happen in our life that we want to happen, and we put all this energy into it, like, uh, let's have an example. Let's say you want to buy a house, and you want to buy the perfect house. So you start going around, you start looking for houses, you're starting to talk to people, you're starting to find these properties, you're going to the houses, um, you're inspecting the houses, and you're not really finding anything good, but you keep saying to yourself, oh, I got to do this. You know, I got to find the right house. And you keep going out and you're looking and looking and you really not finding anything. And maybe even sometimes the, the realtor doesn't show up or other things go wrong, but you still want to push forward. You want to like force the situation forward. And we've all had situations like that in our lives where we're just pushing and pushing and pushing and it's almost like the universe doesn't want to cooperate. 
right? We're just not getting the results, and it's very frustrating, right? Have you been there? <laughs> I know you have. So the other way of, of things happening is when you you may have an idea, maybe you have an idea to buy a house, and let's say you just look up a few houses or you find a few houses for sale and you go see it and all of a sudden you meet the owner of the one house and they're very nice and you have a nice chat with them and all of a sudden you get a call from the mortgage broker at the at, you know saying that you know your loan went through the money is ready and you love this house and in the backyard they have you know a hammock <laughs> cuz you really want a hammock and it just like Everything seems to come together like effortlessly and spontaneously. So it's my opinion that in our lives, when things come together very naturally, effortlessly, and spontaneously, then those are good because you can just go with the flow. It feels right. You, you kind of know that it's right. You're not afraid to do it because it just feels right. And it's almost like you're letting the universe prompt you into what to do next. Instead of trying to force upon the universe what you want to do next. Now, sometimes that works, right? Sometimes we have to get something done and we get it done. Even though it's not easy. But I'm only making the distinction between these two different ways of things happening. One is a very forced way, which is a lot of force, a lot of energy, and it doesn't really work very well sometimes. The other way is very little force, very little energy, but it just everything seems to happen just perfectly. One example of this in my own life is when... Um, the local meditation group here where I'm, where I'm living, we wanted to have a place to meditate. And we were meeting in someone's house, but this person was moving. So we had to find a new place to meditate. And we really wanted to have a public place because it's just better for people to come to a public place. People feel more comfortable and, you know, strangers can come and they feel okay because it's a public place. It's not someone's house, you know, not someone's living room. So I approached the local township about, uh, you know, using a public facility to do our meditation group. And previous to that, I had approached, you know, in the few years before that, I'd approached many townships, many libraries with all, you know, basically trying to do little seminars, little little events at the library or whatever. And when people look at the meditation group, there's always this reluctance to um to really get involved. Because it's a meditation group, but it's also a spiritual practice. And all of a sudden everyone just uh, well, people can just associate it with religion and say, "Okay, well we don't let you know, religions use our library or use our public facilities. So it's a very touchy subject and it, it, it had never gone well. It was always like, I'm, I, I would try to explain to them, look, it's not religion. It's not anything. It's just, we sit and meditate 
and connect with the divinity in our hearts. That's all we do. Yeah, well, you know, if we let you do it, we got to let everyone else do it. And basically, all I heard was no, 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 many times. So when I went to my own town and said, you know, look, we're looking for a place to have our group meditation. All of a sudden, there's two, all of a sudden, the person I reached out to happened to be the exact person that I needed to speak to, the person who literally had the power to say yes or no, right? I just right off the bat had the the perfect contact, which was a little higher up on the on the ladder. It wasn't wasn't an entry level person. This was a director level person. And then they brought in two other people to to ask me about what my group and those two people really understood what the group was about. And they said, oh yeah, this is good. No problem. And all of a sudden it was like, okay, no problem. Yes. Okay, good. No, let's do it. I didn't even have to say much at all. (laughs) All of a sudden this task that was, had been so hard for years, all of a sudden it just happened. And I didn't even, I, you know, it just came together so quickly. It just happened. It just felt right. So that's an example of, of, uh, of of that phenomena where one one way is the the way of force and effort and and frustration the other is the way of nice and easy let the universe help you along hey and if it's not going well then maybe you have to abandon it I, i've had to do that recently myself as well where i'm trying to do something trying to figure something out and i'm banging my head against the wall and it's not working. And finally, I, I literally said, that's it. I'm not going to do this because it's too hard. Something's not right. The universe is not, you know, cooperating with me, which really means I'm not cooperating with the universe, right? It's not the, <laughs> it's not the universe's job to cooperate with me. It's my job to cooperate with the universe, Right? So that's a little bit about waiting. Sometimes we have to wait. Sometimes we have to think about the effort we're putting in, what is flowing well, what's not flowing well, and we have to wait with the right attitude. So so you're listening to The Mystic Show, and we'll be right back. Thank you to Tool again. <laughs> that song is called Reflection. It's actually a 11-minute song, and it gets quite heavy near the end, but it's 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 very good. So thanks to Tool for that. And you're listening to The Mystic Show. I'm Chris Curran, and you can call me. Did you know that? <laughs> Were you aware that we have a phone here? 
anyway, you can call the show live if you want. Um, and if you don't get the show live, I, I made this little recording where you can leave a message. And by the way, you can leave a message of a, with a question. And if you want to give me permission to play your message on the air, just tell me that in the message. Because I'd love to get some questions on the, on the answering machine and, and be able to play them live. So I want to thank Pause Your Life real quick. PauseYourLife.org. That's the website. www.pauseyourlife.org. Uh, they do meetups and retreats. And it's basically like when you feel like you need a break in your life and life is just a runaway train, you can't stop it. Sometimes you need to hit the pause button. Hit the pause button and just be yourself. Turn off your cell phone, get away from the family or, you know, whatever. Just go be yourself. Reconnect with your inner self. And that's what these retreats are uh, for. These pause your life retreats. We also do meetups in northern New Jersey here. And uh, there's also a daily email you can receive. It's called the Daily Pause. And it's a great quote, a spiritual kind of inspirational quote that you'll get every morning. And it'll give you an opportunity to do like a mini pause. You know, just read the email and think about it for 30 seconds or a minute. Those little pauses actually help a lot. I don't know if you're used to doing that, but you definitely try it. So it's pauseyourlife.org. That's the website. And it's amazing. We're almost out of time. The t- Where did the time go? Well, I know we read that great chapter from, from Byways of Blessedness today. I mean, that was just great. If you're listening, I mean, you could listen to the podcast. You could listen to that again if you want. That was on forgiveness. Um, And just as we're getting ready to wrap it up here, I wanted to just talk about fear. So fear, fear, what do you think about fear? Why does fear exist? Or what are you afraid of? Most people would say nothing. I'm not afraid of anything. (laughs) Nah, come on, please. Right? But it's interesting, the fear, basically the fear of things cause anxiety and worry. And those are the things that, they're so, they're like insidious. They're they're there, but they're so subtle that you can fool yourself and think, oh no, they're not there. I'm not worried. I'm not anxious. <laughs> but yet I can't sleep at night and, you know, little things like that. Yeah, little things like that. One of the biggest fears is fears of the future. A lot of people fear the future, right? It's this big unknown. It's this big thing. You know, we're all worried. We want to make sure we have enough money. We have enough food. We have, you know, basically enough resources to to take care of ourselves and our family. And it's like we always have this mindset of uh, that there's not enough. And we have to kind of fight for what's ours. And and to some extent, it's true, actually, here in America. I mean, I feel that way a lot, that we're just forced to 
be in the rat race and just running like chickens just to, you know, running full speed just to stay still, to maintain where you are. <laughs> um, but what happens is when we think of the future, we sort of like extrapolate the present into the future. So, okay, if I'm if I'm earning X dollars right now, in the future, I hope to earn X and maybe a little bit more than X. And it's funny because extrapolating into the future, I mean, think how dangerous that is. You're trying to, basically, you're trying to predict what the universe is going to do for you. And, and not even predict a lot of times. A lot of times we expect that this is going to be my future. So we basically dictate to the universe how we want the future to be. And when when you do that, you just, I mean, you're just like stepping on the universe's toes. You're just curtailing the universe's ability to help you and do things for you. I guess my point is that the future, there's so much possibility in the future that we should not limit it. I mean, do you really know what the future is going to be like? No. I mean, could you be limiting your future by having thoughts, limiting thoughts about your future? Absolutely. I think all of us do that. And there's a great quote I, I want to leave, leave you with today. And it basically says, God has unsuspected resources. <laughs> what do you think about that? God has unsuspected resources. And maybe God has an unsuspected future for you. Maybe the future is going to be way brighter than you think. Maybe you can make a lot of progress on the spiritual path much faster than you think. Maybe you can change and drop some bad habits faster than you think. So maybe we can be open to it. Openness, willingness, right? Seems to always come back to that. So thank you for listening today. Have a great day. Enjoy your openness and willingness and bring some of that joy to other people as well. And as always, keep shining.